passages, just a few <clears throat> uh, expressions in the scripture where it refers to the Messianic age. And the reason we did that, is, and, and the reason I'm going to go back there again this morning, is because of the importance of it, number one. Number two is because most translations, when they translate it forever, uh, skews the idea in our mind because we think of endlessness when we think of forever. And that's not what the English word is meaning, and it's not what the Greek word means, for that matter. So, I want to look at a few other passages. We're not going to look at every one, because there are a ton of them. And I, I mentioned that last week. I forget now. I should have wrote it down, but there, there's a ton of passages in the New Testament that when you understand what the expression eternal life or everlasting life refers to. And sometimes, it's in, we saw last week, it's not even translated. It's just hidden because they didn't know what to do with it, the translators. And uh, I want to look at some more of those today as a means of encouragement to you and I to remind us once again as we do casual reading of the scripture. So say you get up Sunday morning or Monday or Tuesday or whatever day of the week, every day, I hope, you're reading the Bible and you gloss over or you just casually read those verses that talk about something being forever. Now, occasionally there are verses that are translated that way and it's not this word here, eon. Orionios, either one. It's a, it's a different word. But I'm talking about the words eon, which means age, or the word eonios, which means, uh, as an adjective, meaning age-lasting or age-abiding, or it's translated life for the age on some occasions. It's an adjective describing the kind of life that's being spoken of. And that makes it important because there is a particular and peculiar life that the scriptures speak of that is yet to come. It isn't here yet. Now, we can experience it now in a certain sense simply by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author of that life. And he fills us with a heart and a hope for that life to come. Another issue that enters in that we need to be careful to think about um, is, you know, when we die. And by the way, I should have pulled that out and had it ready. I read this text Wednesday night. I had a text from... Uh, one of the guys that was at the conference, he's been here the last couple of years, and he's coming again this year, and he wanted to know if we were having a conference, and if we were, when were the dates? And I sent it to him, and so he wrote back and said, by the way, are there any young, up-and-coming Bible students, researchers, you know, who are studying these truths about the kingdom? Because he said, a lot of us are getting older and we're headed for the exit door. 
And we thought, and he put exit in capital letters, and we all laughed about that. We said, yeah, we're heading for the exit door, all right. But that's the fact of life. We are heading for the exit door. And we catch this idea that when we die, then boom, you know, we go to heaven. And then there becomes this jumbled thought in our mind, well, if we're going to die and go to heaven, how can that be a benefit then to somehow turn around and get back down here on earth for the millennium? And over time, you begin to think, well, how can the millennium be so important? Heaven seems more important to me than going to be with Jesus. And the fact of the matter is that the millennium is the preeminent teaching of the Bible, period. Old Testament, New Testament. It is the age which is yet to come. So we mentioned the Greek word eon. Well, you know there's an English word eon. And an eon is just nothing more than an age. An age that has a beginning and it has an ending. It is not endlessness. So when you think of the word forever, and the word eon is translated forever in Scripture, he's not talking about endlessness there. He's talking about the age to come. And really, there are only a few natural, oh, I say natural, a few expressions in our common translations, and in particular the King James, but some of the others too, where it's translated age, and it's very obvious and evident. Other times, when it's translated forever, or everlasting, then we miss it. We don't really think it through in our minds exactly what the writer is trying to tell us. And he is talking specifically about the coming age. And so I want to hit upon some of those again this morning, just as we did last week. And I've, I've actually outlined here, and, and, and it's a mess, and I, I want to redo it, but I've got it in a, a chart here, and my chart is like four pages, or five. No, four right now, I guess, but it could go to five. No, it does go to five. I got five I left at home because it's, it's a different expression altogether. But you have several different ways that the coming age is expressed, or if it's referring to this age, the present one we're in. So, for instance, you have the word ice, preposition. And you know you're, from your chart, we talked about it last week, the word ice means into, or they'll say unto, but primarily into. And it's talking about the, the point or the goal towards which something is to be arrived at. So on our chart, that's why you see the little circle or you have the hunk of cheese. The mouse is going in the cheese because that's his point of arrival. He's going into, he's going to enjoy a sumptuous meal there. But you're going into a realm or a sphere. And that sphere, of course, being that 1,000-year rule 
of the Lord Jesus Christ over the earth. Now, there are many of these. This is probably the most prominent expression uh, for that phrase in the New Testament. Ice, to go into. Then you have the word en, in. Well, if you're going to go into, then you're going into n, in the sphere or the realm of the kingdom. And that's used a couple of times, like, but it's not about the coming one. It's in this age is the way it's translated, in this one right now, and we're in it. We're in the sphere or the realm of the present age. Then you have um, um, the, end, the end of the ages, soon telia. You have the several emphatic negations about the, the coming age that we're gonna, we discussed a couple of them last week, and I'm going to hit on a couple of those again. You have, of this age, you have the sons of this age, you have that age, you have out of the age, you have away from, or most translate that, something far away from the age. So, for instance, you have, well, let me say over here also, you have the word pra, P-R-O, that's translated before. So you're talking about before the age, like say before, the the King James will translate it before the world began, which is literally before the age began, prior to. But then you have this word, um, apa, apo, it's it's apa actually, it's short o, and it's away from something as opposed to being near to it. So you get the idea it's, it's far away, sometime back in the past, but not necessarily prior to or before the age began. Then you have um, to this age, or you have telos, to the end of the age, or the end of the ages which is a goal, again, that you're working towards. The word telos means a goal, a set-out thing that you're aiming towards. And so just as a brief reference to some of those, and the idea behind that, of course, as a goal is it lets us know that Scripture is teaching us, God has revealed in His Word that there is a goal towards which He is working. He has a purpose for which he has put us here and created us, and he has a plan as to how he's going to bring his purpose all about. And that's what he's revealed in his word. So I want to look at a couple passages, a few maybe, if we get time, uh, that we don't ordinarily think of that way, that teach us about what God's plan is and what he is doing to bring this earth, this world, to its final consummation and accomplish all that he has uh, prepared it for and created it for. And then not only for the world, but then in you and I individually, what he's created us for individually as a purpose and a plan for us and to bring us to a complete end or a full goal of maturity and readiness, preparation for entering into that kingdom 
and service there. The first one I wanted to look at was in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 70. And I, I can't find my notes from last week. I, I, I may hit on one of these that we looked at last week, and I don't remember for sure what ones I did and what ones I didn't. I think we looked at this one here. Um, He says in verse 69 um, that he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began or which have, have been, literally it's into the world, which have been ice into the world. Or, as most translate it, which have been from the age, or from the ages, or who are from the age. Or, I like this translation, I think it gives a good understanding of what he's telling us, he says, uh, see, it's, it's the, um, the literal translation version says it this way, um, and I'm going to rough it up here and give, give my thought on it. It was as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets from the age. Now that's, of course, looking back, but from the age. The second one I want to look at is John chapter 8 and verse 35. I think we looked at this one last week too, but He says there, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides ever. Now, if you read that the way we've said the correct understanding of that word ever would be, it would say something like this. And the servant abides not in the house to the age, but the son abides to the age. And those translations that are very strict and literal, all translated exactly that way, to the age. If you will look at uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. I was looking at another one, trying to decide if I wanted to go there, but we won't. I have, like I said, a a ton of these that we can look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you'll look at verse 31. Now, immediately you should have thought about this passage here. It's one we commonly refer to when we think of the Lord's Supper. So that, that... really should put some things in perspective as we commemorate the Lord and his death 
and his burial, his body and his blood, in connection with this. Verse 31, he says, If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Um, I knew I'd get the wrong one. 2 Corinthians 11.31. So that wasn't making any sense the minute I read it. 2 Corinthians 11.31. In verse 30, Paul says, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed to the age, knows that I lie not. You know, there's nothing there by saying it that way that changes anything as far as what the scriptures teach. But it does set up in our minds that if we would recognize it that way, as we read it, that these expressions occur over and over and over in the New Testament. And they're not just a few scattered references here and there, but it is the common teaching of the Bible through and through. If you'll look at um, ah, let me let me go to um, Let's, well, let's, let's go back to John. There's quite a few expressions there. John chapter 8 in particular. And I'm not looking, by the way, today we're not looking at any of the adjectives. That's, that's another, another passage or another word altogether. Uh, well, except that they're in connection sometimes. They're in the same verse, so we will look at those, but I'm not addressing that particularly. We're looking just at the noun, the age. In John chapter 8, and verse 51, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And it's a double negative, meaning no, no, not ever, no, no. He won't see death. Verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast to, uh, uh, oh, see death, I'm sorry, to the age. You will never see death to the age or the age to come. And you think that about an expression like that. If you won't see death to the age, but yet you will see death because we're going to die, what in the world could the Lord have been speaking of? Except for the fact that even though the physical body may die, you will continue to experience that life that he has promised to give, zoe life. 
And it's hard to teach and, and talk about some of these things without going into other expressions. So I'm just going to briefly run through the word life. But there are three words translated life in the New Testament. One is bios or B-I-O-S. The one where we get the word biology from and biological and so on. Generally referring to our physical life and our living, our daily living. Second one that's translated life frequently is the word suke. Suke is um, where we get our word psychology and psychological and so on. It's concerning the life of the soul, the life of the person, who you are. The third expression is the word zoe. Zoe is the life that God has. It is the life that God experiences and he wants to give us. It's what he created us for. It's the life that Adam lost in the garden. And it's what he is preparing us for in the coming age. As a matter of fact, I can say this. In Scripture, when the Lord refers to life in the age to come, it's always Zoe life. Now, you know when you were in school, your teacher said anytime somebody says always or never, your ears ought to perk up and pay attention because that might be on the test. <laughs> right? That was a true... I, I, I learned that and I said, man, every time I hear that word always or never... I'm going to go check. I'm, I usually underline it in the book. I want to find, make sure I study that and find out what it says. Make sure that it truly is always or never. Well, it's always. Anytime the life that God promises us in the millennial age, it is always Zoe life. It is God's life that he imparts to us, to those who are participants in his kingdom. If you turn to, or, well, if you look at just a couple of chapters over, chapter 10 and verse 28. In chapter 10 and verse 28, this is a passage regarding the Lord's sheep. In verse 27, he says, They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I, shall, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, the word life there, of course, is zoe, and he says, life for the age, or life age lasting. And if you look at chapter 11 and verse 26, you'll see a similar expression. John eleven twenty six. Where he says this, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. But the expression there is, shall not die to the age, or unto the age. 
never, a double negative, no, never die to the age. Now, that's Young's literal translation, the concordant literal version, and the emphatic diaglot says, may not die unto the age. The alternate literal translation, I mean, there are several that give us that translation, but it's not there in our common version. And so you would never pick up on it. But the whole point of it is, is that the one who believes in the Lord Jesus, he says, shall never die unto the age. He's giving us that same expression again. So, though, again, the physical body may die, we will still possess the life that God promised to give us, Zoe life, all the way up to the age and into the age to come. Now, that's something to grab a hold of. That's something to wrap your arms around because it's a promise <clears throat> of the life that he promises to give us and that we will not lose it. Though the body dies and goes to the grave, we're not going to lose that life. We're still in possession of it. In chapter 13 and verse 18, I think. That doesn't look right because it... How about 8? In chapter 13, in verse 8, when the Lord was washing the disciples' feet, Peter said unto him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. By the way, Royce had a really good lesson on that passage about um, uh, you haven't. No, it was no, it was Lang mentioned. He'll have no part with me. He doesn't say you'll have no part in me. And I thought that was a good point that he made. He doesn't tell Peter you'll have no part in me. You'll just have no part with me that his, his relationship to the Lord was secure. But my point here is, is that in this passage, again, untranslated by the King James Version and others, Peter is saying to Jesus, and it's a double negative again, when he says, thou shalt never wash my feet, he's telling Peter, no, never will you ever wash my feet right up to the age, right up to the time you come to rule. You ain't washing my feet. And Jesus tells him, well, if you do that, you'll have no part with me. And then, of course, you know what Peter said. Whoa, I didn't mean that, Lord. If that's the case, wash me all over. And then he told him, Wait a minute, you don't need to be washed all over. You know, you just need your feet washed. Once you've been cleansed and made clean, you don't have to be cleansed all over again, top to bottom. Just get your feet washed. If your sins have been forgiven, then they've been forgiven. The Lord's taken care of it. But if you sin in the meantime then God's made a provision to deal with it. And it's, 
Jesus uses this illustration of foot washing to remind us of what it means to confess our sins and to be cleansed partially so that we can be made whole again. But the point of the passage I'm referring to here is Peter just missed the whole point. He they just messed the whole thing up. He said, you aren't washing my feet all the way up to the time that you come to reign on this earth. And that is not going to happen. When you set up, of course, Peter thought it was going to be a little short time. All the disciples did. If it was just going to be a few days or months or a couple years or whatever, Peter was just telling him, well, however long that is, you aren't washing my feet. And the Lord just simply told him, if you don't let me do it, then you don't have any part with me. And, of course, Peter, Peter caught the lesson then. But we are liable to miss some of the idea of what Peter was referring to because he doesn't say, you know, our King James doesn't say anything about the coming age in this verse. But it's there in the Greek text. Another passage. Um, If we look at, no, maybe. I got too many here. Yeah, one more because our time's about gone. Luke 18 and verse 30. So we're going to go back for a little bit. Luke 18 and verse 30. Now, This is a rich young ruler passage. We could have gone to Mark chapter 10 and found the same thought there, but we won't look at both of them, because, but they do teach the same thing. In verse 30, as Jesus is completing his teaching to the disciples about the coming age, and what it means to inherit life in that age, he concludes it by saying this in verse 30, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, right now, and in the age to come. Now, that expression there, the reason I'm pointing this one out is because the translation is actually correct. The word in is the Greek word en, in that coming age. And you remember from the chart, our preposition chart, it's, it's the circle. In that sphere of the coming age, when we're in it. So he's saying when, when you are in that age, in that kingdom, you'll receive, and notice what he says, what is it that you're going to get? Many, many mansions? Well, he says you're going to get life for the age. Life everlasting. Zoe life. So go back and read it again, and you'll find that when Jesus sums that up, and of course, you, you know, you preface that in verse 29, when he says, 
There's no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake. So put that in perspective there. It's the kingdom of God's sake that we've left certain things behind because we have our heart, our soul, and our mind set on a goal that's out there in the future. Participation in, in that, that coming kingdom. And he says, who shall not receive manifold more now in this present time and in the age to come, life age lasting. So you get benefits of Zoe life now, and then you get the ultimate benefit in the coming age when the Messiah returns. And the interesting thing about that is if you back up to the beginning of that passage, when the rich young ruler comes to ask Jesus about it, he says, good master, in verse 18, he says, good master, what must I do to have or inherit life for the age? Of course, it's translated eternal life in our common version. But it's literally, what must I do to have life for the coming age? And Jesus goes about this several verses here of teaching regarding what this young man must do in order to arrive at the point where he could have life for that coming age. And one of the things that he said to do was to give up your possessions. That was always a hard one for me. I kept thinking, well, how are you going to give up all your possessions? How are you going to live? Well, he wasn't talking about giving up everything that you own. He's talking about not the necessities of life. He's talking about the possessions of life, the unnecessary things that burden us down and weigh us down and tie us to this world and hinder us from being focused on the age to come. That's what he was talking about when he says, give up your possessions. And he went away disappointed because he had a whole bunch of them. So much that as he weighed the thought out in his mind, he couldn't fathom giving up all that he had in order to gain life for the age to come, the Messiah's age, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. But the Lord said, everybody who gives up those things, possessions, whether it be parents or houses, or mothers, or fathers, parents, brothers, sisters, whatever. Lands, it says in, um, I think it's in Matthew's account, he says lands, or brethren, family members, all kinds, whatever it costs you, and you're willing to give them up, there's going to be a gain and a benefit on the other side. And, of course, by implication, the gain is going to far outweigh whatever you decide to keep here. 
Because in the end, you're going to lose that. And if you lose that because you were unwilling to give it up, you're also going to lose the benefits of the future kingdom. That's when the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth come in. Huge disappointment. So I always say, all I'm saying here is that these expressions in the New Testament are all consistently, thoroughly, in every regard, teaching us that there is a future for the Lord's people. It's not when I fly away and I go off to heaven. It's when the Lord comes and we fulfill what he's made us for in his kingdom. It's going to be on this earth. Now, is there a heavenly portion? Well, evidently so. Seems to be a lot of activity going on, you know, up in the air. But it's within the sphere or realm of this earth. It's not some far out place, you know, on, you know, well, I wanted to say some cloud, but that would be within the earth's sphere too. So it's not there. It's not way out in the universe somewhere, you know, way beyond the edges of, of what we can imagine. It's going to be here, right here. This is what he made it for. And if you go back and look and, and read again carefully in the New Testament, how many times when the Lord talks about the future, He brings creation into the picture and reminds us. Paul does it constantly, reminds us about what God did in creation and bringing us to this point to fulfill the plan and purpose of God. I really said that would be my last verse, and I'm over time, I've got to quit. But there's another passage that talks about the consummation of the ages or the ends of the ages. When all these things have been brought to fulfillment, soon telia, all things have been, soon means with or together. So all these things that have happened brings us to the end and together it's all summed up in Christ. And he comes back, and he sets up his kingdom over the earth, his government, and then it's all going to come together. And everything that he promised he would do, we're going to see it happen right before our very eyes. Now's the, naked, now's, now's the eye of faith. But that day it's going to happen right before our very eyes, and we'll see it unfold in ways that we cannot imagine. And I hope that as you look at passages like that and you've marked them and, and remind yourself, wait a minute, he's talking about the millennium here. He's talking about the Lord's coming kingdom, that it will be a refreshment to your heart and your soul. And it'll help you avoid that confusion of knowing, well, I know there's a kingdom coming, but yet he says here, we're going to go be with him forever or something such expression like that. And to realize that's not really what it's saying. Now, do I think we'll be with him forever? I think so. I think that's why he made us, for his companionship. But the purpose and goal 
that's revealed to us in Scripture is that coming rule of Christ, and he's going to fulfill it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, the promises of your word and what glorious and wonderful promises they are and what joy it brings to a man's heart when we can embrace them in our soul and hold them dear to us and believe them and know that you are going to fulfill them and that there is so much to look forward to beyond this life. That there is nothing worth embracing in this life, but rather to cling to and embrace the life to come. Let us live with that in mind and in view, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.